You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. As always, I'm really glad you've joined us. Recently, there has been so much debate and discussion around the issue of policing and public safety in America. The calls to address police brutality from last summer have been renewed in recent weeks. And the reasons illustrate the complexity of this issue. First, with the groundbreaking verdict in the Derek Chauvin trial, an incident that inspired some shred of hope for increased accountability for police officers in communities across the country. But then the stark reality cast by several more fatal shootings of black Americans at the hands of law enforcement, which reminds us all that we still have so much work to do and so far to go. My next guest has been thinking about policing and criminal justice here in Detroit for decades, and his perspective has never been more crucial. David Robinson has worked as both an attorney and an officer in the Detroit Police Department, and he's representing the National Lawyers Guild legal observers who were beaten by Detroit police in protests last fall. He's also the author of the 2019 book about policing titled You See a Hero, I See a Human Being. David Robinson, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Steve. So uh, let's start here. Your book offers a perspective that really isn't being discussed in the larger collective conversation about policing right now. And before we get into details, I want to ask you about the title of your book. You see a hero, I see a human being. Uh, explain that for us. You know, it is uh, um, chock full of, uh, uh, I think, psychological um, things that uh, society sort of uh, finds itself um, uh, sort of mesmerized in, uh, with policing and such that um, uh, rather than seeing police um, as ordinary people, uh, the tendency is to see police always as heroes. As soon as um, in the news reports um, uh, uh, an incident involving uh, bad, a negative incident involving a police officer, uh, the knee-jerk response is that, oh, but all the other officers are good, or, or there are other officers good, or there are other officers that are good officers, so so they, the inference is that, you know, um, this is just one bad officer. You know, I, I look at it as though um, the... Uh, discussion of good officer versus bad officer is really, it misses the mark because um, the same officer that, you know, uh, one would say one day is a bad officer the day before, um, let's say, saved a kid, you know, from drowning. And so if that's the story that was told the day before, um, then that would be one of those good officers. So, um, uh, again, regarding officers as heroes tends to put more of a burden even on the officers themselves because then they have to live up to it. Mm. Um, and then that, that really confounds and, and cheats uh, the responsibility that police officers have to both themselves and uh, particularly to the community uh, they serve. Yeah. Uh, so you argue that we've got to change the culture of 
police departments and and, and demystify uh, that culture. But but you stop short of calling for the the defunding of police, which is a term that I think has been misunderstood by a lot of people, but but certainly means that we would rethink policing in a really fundamental way. Um, give us a sense of what it is you think police departments should be doing. Well, you know, if we can just look at the, uh, the uh, recent uh, conviction of, uh, of uh, Derek Chauvin and then look at the uh, defense that uh, was put on uh, on behalf of Derek Chauvin by the police uh, defense lawyer. Um, it failed, obviously. But uh, what he resorted to was to appeal to this same thing that I'm talking about with the hero uh, concept, because um, uh, when he talked about, when the defense lawyer talks about, you know, the crowd that uh, Derek Chauvin was implicitly confronted with, and that he was using that as, you know, one hocus pocus uh, angle to, again, appeal to uh, the jury um, baser notion of, uh, of mystique so that the jury isn't going to question um, uh, this police officer's Derek Chauvin's actions because, you know, he's doing it, you know, all in the name of the law. Uh, that again, failed um, uh, in uh, facing the reality of, uh, of what was seen on the video. Now, understand, if that video had not ever existed, I doubt very seriously if Derek Chauvin would have ever been on trial. I bet you dollars or donuts if you were to read Derek Chauvin's report, which he had to have done, um, uh, it would have been chock full of these things that I saw, that I say rather are uh, hero-like mm. and and mystifying because he was talked about, you know, how he used reasonable force and that, you know, uh, George Floyd was uh, uh, such an unruly person and so forth and so on. And then, of course, the defense lawyers resort to drugs uh, and, and, and uh, uh, George uh Floyd's uh, uh, background mm-hmm. and and history, and again, those things are, are designed again to um, uh, appeal to this hero status that police officers carry with them. Um, and so we saw we saw again a glimpse of, for the first time of uh, of an attack on uh, the this mystique that I'm talking about, an attack on this hero status, because this jury, uh, again, didn't buy it. But, again, what, uh, what we heard here in this trial was buttressed by um, uh, the stark reality of a video um, mm-hmm. that was sort of a, uh, one that could not be disputed, one that could not be cross-examined. You know, the first video that we actually saw as a nation uh, was that of Rodney King. Right. And and despite that video, uh, those officers, you know, were acquitted. And so that that mystique uh, uh, that was employed in the 
um, defense of those officers against Rodney King, it, it won over uh, that video, yeah. um, unlike uh, George Floyd. And all the videos that we've seen, um, um, to the point of George Floyd's incident, um, uh, with uh, rare exception, um, uh, again, uh, the mystique won out um, with Tamar Rice and uh, even Eric Gardner yeah. um, and all of those things. So, uh, again, this culture, this, this uh, whole system of, uh, of, of paradigm shift it needs to occur. And uh, then police need to understand um, that they are human beings <laughs> first right, uh, and not heroes. When Derek Chauvin and George Floyd woke up that morning, understand um, both put their pants on one leg at a time and had <laughs> um, George Floyd survived that day, um, that evening, both he and uh, Derek Chauvin would have, in reverse order, done the same thing. And so that is what equates, you know, those two people. That is yeah. what equates police. Right. Those are the people they so, interact with. So, so you were a police officer here in Detroit from 1975 to 1988, which is uh, quite a bit of time ago. But I, but I wonder what you make of the department today and the way uh, the culture may have changed or not changed uh, in terms of the things that you're talking about. Are we doing better in Detroit with, uh, with these questions than, than, than uh, they are in, in some other cities? And, and if so, why do, you, why do you think that's the case? I, 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 I think that the only thing that has changed is technology. You know, what I point out in the book, uh, policing has been around for, you know, a long, long time. And, you know, while when I was a cop, you know, we had revolvers with six bullets in it. And uh, now um, police officers have, you know, weapons, semi-automatic weapons, non-automatic weapons, um, and all the other uh, new technological implements that supposedly are designed to to make policing uh, safer uh, for not just police, but for the community. But what hasn't changed in policing since the beginning of policing is that human factor. Mm. And so that's, again, you know, uh, the implication behind the title of the book, You See a Hero, I See a Human Being. Um, uh, Things have changed, but I don't think things have gotten better because of what it is that I'm saying. Um, in, in Detroit, um, I, I have been doing this for uh, 35 years in terms of uh, 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 going against uh, police officers. Uh, in the first three years, I was on the side of the police officers uh, when I was working as a police slash lawyer for the city. Um, and so I've seen uh, uh, three decades, of course, and a half of, of, uh, of this behavior of policing that I'm talking about, and um, uh, things have gotten different, but things have not changed as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. But uh, practical things, you know, uh, yeah, like the uh, consent decree that uh, Detroit entered into with the Justice Department, uh, where it um, were three areas of, of, of the Justice Department's concern of you know, witness detentions and, and, and right. detainees and then the uh, 
uh, excessive force. Um, just as a practical matter, closing up in the eighth and ninth floor in the local uh, little precinct detention uh, cells, uh, that has helped. But it, again, those are practical things um, that that uh, took the um, human factor, so to speak, out of it. Uh, but that attitude and that uh, mentality, you know, it, it still exists. Yeah. And it will always exist until, yeah. again, there's a shift in paradigm, shift in the paradigm, and then police departments and the, the police culture has to has to recognize that and confront it and be willing to do so. Right. Okay, uh, David Robinson, uh, attorney and former Detroit police officer, it was really great to have you here for this conversation. Thanks so much for joining us on Detroit Today. Thank you. All right, that's going to do it for us today. I'll be back tomorrow, and we're going to talk about hospitality industry in and around Detroit and why employers are not hiring people back who were laid off during the early days of the pandemic. This is 101.9 WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.